So tonight we begin part two of our series entitled The Bible Project. And spoiler alert, this is my goal, that you will personally start to read the Bible. It is our goal as Orange Team that every single one of you will get a Bible and read it. Get a Bible on your phone with the YouVersion app like we talked about last week. Get an old-fashioned paper copy of the Bible and read it. It is the best-selling book in the history of the planet. Nothing has come close to selling the number of books the Bible has sold, and there's a reason for it. Because the Bible is not just a big, huge book like we talked about last week. The Bible is one giant book that is a collection of many books, right? Inside the book of the, what the heck? There we go. Inside the book of the Bible are 66 much smaller books. Each of these smaller books has a flavor to it, has a style to it. You'll find action adventure in that thing. You'll find poetry. You'll find some pretty risque love stories in that book. You're going to find one-liner zingers. You're going to find even some parts that are a little bit boring. You're going to find lists of family trees. Okay, that's probably pretty cool if you're in the family tree, but it's a little bit on the dry side if you don't know anybody. You'll also find some rules and laws that are the distinctives of the people of Israel, God's chosen people, and you might find that a little bit dry, but the idea behind the Bible is earth-shaking, is life-changing, and that's why it's sold billions of copies. Here's something you need to know, though. You don't just open the book and do this and grab something out, blindly opening the Bible to a random spot and to a random verse and picking something. I did that once. I was in a Bible club with my friends at school and we said, what should we name our Bible club? This is a true story. We opened the Bible blindly to a random page and did this and came to the word loin fat. And we thought, Surely, Lord, we could not name our club Loin Fat. So we closed the Bible again, opened it blindly again, and pointed to a word on a completely different page in a different person's Bible. And guess what word we pointed to? Loin Fat! I don't know that I've read the word loin fat in my entire life since that day, but we then progressed to have a serious conversation about whether or not we should name our Bible club loin fat because we had come across it twice in the Bible. You can't do that. You can't do the Bible that way. You can't even open it and just start on page one and begin reading it all the way through. That's not the best way to explore the Bible. The Bible will absolutely impact your life and change your life. If you read it and if you study it and if you memorize it and you let it get down inside of you, but you have to know how it's set up. So to give you guys a little bit of insight, I want you to check out this video. It's going to explain how the Bible came to be and how the whole thing is basically structured. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So what is the Bible actually? 
Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually they were conquered by the Babylonians who took them away into exile. Then at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity. And this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible, what's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the law. That's Israel's five book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believed that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. This is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now. A few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff, was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. So the Old and New Testament are the two parts that make up the, what we call the Bible. And guys, this is what's awesome about the Bible. It actually speaks to us. Now, I'm not just talking about you open it up and you look at the words and you read them and it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And that makes your heart feel happy. I'm talking about a spiritual phenomenon where what's written in the book actually becomes alive and active in our lives. 
a phenomenon where the Holy Spirit of God literally begins to communicate to our spirit, where the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and begins to tell us stuff and reveal stuff and make sense of the stuff that we're reading. If you are not reading the Bible by yourself, on your own, on a regular basis, you are missing it. You are literally missing an opportunity to hear God speak to your life. When we read the Bible, God talks to us through the book, not just by the words on the page, but in a supernatural manner. And he tells us this important stuff. And he helps us know the difference between our own thoughts and our own feelings in the moment. He helps us know the difference between our thoughts and our feelings and his ultimate truth. Because sometimes it can be hard to tell which is which. Am I thinking this because it's a good idea? Or am I thinking it because it's like a God idea? And so when we read the Bible, God speaks to us from the words on the page and from the inside where his Holy Spirit dwells and makes it come alive. Now if you're sitting there and you're like, Pastor Jail, that's just crazy talk. I'm going to read it to you from the Bible. This is what it says. Hebrews chapter 4. It says, for the word of God... That's another name for the Bible, right? The Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures all mean the same thing. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. Let's not just skip over that. Let's like literally stop and think. What does it mean when it says the Word of God is alive? It means it's talking to us now. It's communicating to us now and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest Two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, that's the inside of our bones. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So picture it like this, like the Bible is like a sword, right? Now this sword is solid. This is actually my boss's sword. Hope he doesn't notice. Okay, this sucker is heavy. This sucker is solid metal. I don't know what kind of metal, but it's a tough metal. And here's the thing. If I pass, don't just grab onto it because it's sharp, right? But if I pass this sword to you, you couldn't bend it over, right? You couldn't manipulate it. You couldn't take it and twist it into like a pretty twirl because it's solid. And then when the Bible brags about itself and it says the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, it's letting us know that the Bible is sharp and it can separate things, but it's also letting us know that it's solid, that it can't be twisted. And so what the Bible meant 20 generations ago, it means to us. And it will still mean in 20 generations. Even when culture says that's unpopular. Even when culture says, no, 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 when the word of God says this, that's just not cool anymore. No. The Bible is solid and unchanging. And that's an important thing for us to recognize about the Bible and its claims to itself. You can't twist it. You can't change it. It's totally solid. Now, here's the other cool thing about the Bible. It can cut through junk. Okay, so if you got a bunch of junk in your mind and you're thinking through stuff and you're trying to make a major decision in your life, and you're trying to figure out, well, what should I really do? What's, what's really the right thing and what's the wrong thing? 
What's my thoughts and feelings? And then what's the truth about what I should do? And you have to somehow separate your thoughts and feelings from truth. The Bible is sharp enough. Have you ever heard the expression, oh, that guy's sharp? Right? That girl's really sharp. What does that mean? Part of what it means is, right, they got something going on in their brain. They're, they're good thinkers. They're strategic. They're sharp. They're smart. They have insights. Okay, the Bible is sharp like that and sharp like this. And it can cut through. And it can separate our thoughts and our ideas that might not be that smart from God's thoughts and ideas, which are incredibly sharp and insightful. So just for fun, just for fun, we bought some fruit just because it's 4640 and we can. And we're just going to use a sword and slice up the food. And while we're doing this, we want this to be appropriately spiritual. So observe, young people, how when we, when we use the Bible to cut through our own thoughts and feelings, we can expose the innermost part, just like it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. It's got to be sharp, right? It's got to be sharp to cut through and separate bone from marrow. It's got to be sharp to cut through and separate our thoughts and feelings in the moment. Okay, so the truth is this. You and I are responsible for reading the Bible for ourselves. You cannot just come to church and listen to me and Pastor Will and Pastor Sarah and Pastor Kim and Pastor Joe talk about the Bible and sing about the Bible and say things about the Bible and go, that's good enough. You have to be responsible to open the Bible for yourself and read it for yourself. Because if you do it, that's when the supernatural phenomenon of the word of God coming alive actually happens. And you don't want to just take that from me. You want to take that straight from the source. So last week I threw down the challenge. I said, read the book of Mark. Read the book of Mark. How many of you opened up a Bible, looked in the book, and found the book of Mark? Very good. Awesome. Now, how many of you who found the book of Mark began reading the book of Mark? Yes. That is so impressive. Very good. Did anyone in one week finish the entire book of Mark? Yes. Okay. All of you come see me after service for a reward, and one of you make sure I have a reward. Now, that is awesome. That's what we need to do. Why are we talking about reading the Bible two weeks in a row? Because it's not enough to talk about it. You have to start doing it. As young people, you have to make the decision that you're going to do it. Now, how many of you, after last week, downloaded on your device the U version of the Bible? Very good. That is awesome. And how many of you signed up for some kind of devotion, reading, plan of some sort in the last week and very good and actually did some of it? Actually did it? Excellent. Guys, this is the kind of stuff that changes your life. This is the kind of stuff that makes an eternal impact in your life. Now, when you read the Bible, if you didn't read Mark or you didn't read version, at some point, this week decide to do it or this week stick with it. And when you do, Listen inside your spirit where the Holy Spirit lives if you are a Christ follower. Listen for him to begin to speak to you and talk to you, not just off the words of the page, 
but from and through his Holy Spirit. Now let's just imagine that you as a young person have a major decision to make. Something big. And you're wrestling with your options. You've got option A, you've got option B. How would you go about making that decision, okay? Our interns are coming around with microphones. They're going to help you. If you know one thing you would do to help you decide between A and B, one decision or the other, what would you do? Raise your hand, and one of the interns will find a couple of you. Yes. Pray to God about it. We could pray to God. We could ask him, should I choose A, should I choose B? Excellent answer. Yes, Vicky. Um, debate whether Ben would like make a pros and cons list. Yeah, like have a little debate with yourself. Make a pros and cons list. That's a great technique. Yes. Read the Bible. You could read the Bible. Yes, you've been listening to my sermon. Very good. Read the Bible. See what the Bible says. Very good. Ask peers about it. You could ask your peers. Absolutely. You could ask friends. You could gather their opinions. You could see what they think. Sean? Ask my mom. Ask your mom. Ask your parents. Yes. Your parents are an excellent resource. You should ask them for wisdom and insight into situations. Very good idea. What else we got? got ask a different for one? advice. Ask for advice. Yes. We could ask other people like teachers or other important adults in our life. We could ask an older brother or sister if they're a good decision maker themselves, right? Okay, Sean? You can ask Orange Team or other pastors. Yes, you could ask Orange Team or one of the 4640 pastors. That would be huge. Have we stolen all the good ones? Nope, there's still lots of hands. You could think about like the outcomes of each. Yes, you could think about what happens if I do A, what happens if I do B, and try to think through the final outcome of that decision all the way down the road. You could think it through. Vicki? Uh, worship? Yes, you could worship God, and from deep down inside of you, you could listen for the Holy Spirit to give you the answer and watch that answer kind of rise up from the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can ask your pastor. Yep, you can ask your pastor, absolutely. Got that one on the board. What else we got? We got time for two more. Gwenny? You could flip a coin. You could flip a coin. You could just go heads is A, tails is B, and you flip the coin and you see what happens. Last one. Ask teachers. Ask teachers. Okay, so we got a lot of ideas up on the board of things that we could do should we need to make a big decision in our lives. Are all of these methods equally good? Kind of. I heard a lot of. Kind of. Some people said no. Some people said yes. Okay. They're not all the same. They're not all equally a good way to make a decision. Like, this is lame, but if you were going to jump off a bridge or not, do you want to flip a coin on that one? No, no. A better choice would be to ask your mother if it's a good idea. And anyone would know, what would your mother say if your friends jump off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge too, right? So you know, you know, it's not, it's not all equal. It's not all equal. Okay, so, so some ways of making a big decision in our life are not the same weight to it as other ways to make decisions. And, and I know that you think, oh, Pastor JL, because we're in church, 
and you're a pastor, you're obviously going to say that the right answer is to pray, read the Bible, and worship. And that is exactly what I'm going to say. You're right. You're absolutely right. Very good. I'm glad you've come to church long enough to know that. But here's why. Here's why. Your friends may not know any more than you whether A or B is right. They might not. They might want to help you. They might have your best interest in mind. Of course, they might not. They might be jealous. They might be backstabbing you. You never know. So, they, but they, assuming they do have your best interest, they might not know either. So it might be just as good as flipping a coin. You, you could try to debate with a pros and cons list. That's a way I used a ton as a young person. My dad taught me that method of decision making, and I've used it even in my adulthood. And you know what? Sometimes that and thinking about decisions helps you come to good conclusions. But guess what? Sometimes it doesn't. Right? Sometimes all our brain power and our effort and our thoughts end us up with a human idea. But sometimes what we need is a God idea. And if you think about the big decisions that you have to make in life, I don't want to trust those to a coin flip. I don't want to trust those to someone's opinion that may or may not be in my best interest. So, what about some of these other ones like going to orange team or asking for advice from a, a teacher or a parent? Are those better, worse, same? A, a, lots of sames, lots of a little better, right? Okay, here's, here's why it might be a little bit better. Because when you go to someone that is, has lived more life than you, who has experience, the Bible teaches us that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Now, a counselor isn't your bud on the soccer team. A counselor doesn't have to be a professional therapist. A counselor is someone that knows more than you about a situation. And so when you and I have to make a decision, going to someone that has more experience, such as a parent or a pastor or a teacher, could lead you to overall a better result. Now there's times where your parents aren't gonna know. If you wanna know like what shoes look cuter with an outfit, your mom may not be the person that has the most style instinct. You might do better off with a friend, but I'm talking about major, major decisions. And here's what the Bible says about it. Proverbs 2, my child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and understanding. Search for them as you would for, for, for silver and seek them like a hidden treasure. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants the treasure of good sense to the honest, and he is the shield about those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Verse 9, then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. It doesn't say we'll find the right way to go by flipping a coin or making a pros and cons list, even though those can be good techniques in certain cases. It doesn't say 
That's how we find it. It says we find it when we seek God for wisdom. Now here's the crazy thing. In the Hebrew language, which is the language of the people who wrote the Bible, there is one word in this text that I read in, in Proverbs 2 that says, my child, listen to what I say. And this word listen has a really distinct meaning. Let's watch this video and see what that is. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, if you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action. And that's the Hebrew word Shema. So when we read the Bible, we have a dual responsibility. We read it and we listen and obey all at the same time. Because it does you and it does me no good to read the Bible and not obey it. The Bible makes an analogy about people who do that. It says it's like a guy who like goes up to a mirror and I don't know, maybe he has a giant booger hanging out of his nose and he looks in the mirror and he sees the booger 
And he knows like something's gross, but he does nothing to correct it. That would be lame. That's what people do when they go up to the Bible and they have a big decision to make and they're asking God, God, what should I do? And they look into the Bible, which is like a mirror to their inner sides. They look into the Bible and they see what they should do, but ignore it. That's like the dude with the booger that just goes to school. It's the same thing. We have to listen and obey. We have to read and apply it to our lives. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your Bible. I pray that these young people would love to read your Bible. They would love to study it. They'd love to memorize it. And they would have a lifelong hunger for your word. God, we pray that as we open up your word this week, each one of us, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what it means, that it would come alive to us like you promised it would. We would understand it at greater levels than we ever have before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening at 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.